Hello and welcome to Bondcast, a podcast series where we discuss our views on the latest themes and events shaping rate market. I'm Imogen Bakra, Head of Non-Dollar Rate Strategy, and I'm joined today by our Global Market Specialists, Dan Navruzzi and Joanne Spadigam. So another central bank focused week. So let's start there uh, with you, Jan. Um, I think a pause was was fairly consensual heading into this week, and and that's what they delivered. Can you talk us through, I guess, the kind of key takeaways from from this week's Fed meeting? Sure. So, like you said, it was very widely expected that they're not going to uh, raise rates this meeting, and that's exactly what we got. Uh, we didn't. Uh, the Fed kept rates unchanged, but uh, more importantly, we got the forecasts for, uh, for this year, next year, all the way up to twenty twenty six, and and their long-run estimate for the, the long-run rate is uh, those leaned on the on the hawkish side, uh, I have to admit. This year, for 2023, the median projection showed that the Fed is looking for another interest rate hike, uh, which means we would get one either at the November or the December meeting. Uh, just to clarify, that's not our base case, but that's what the forecast said. Uh, then for next year, the dots showed that the Fed expects to cut only by 50 basis points. Uh, 12 out of the 19 voters uh, put their forecast at only 50 basis points. The remainder were virtually all at like uh, 75 or 100. Uh, so that just kind of puts us in a situation where the Fed previously expected 100 basis points of cuts for next year. Now they've re- lowered that amount to 50. Uh, it was a close call, but nevertheless, it has this kind of crosses this almost psychological barrier of five percent into next year as well, uh, and then the, the year after that show the unchanged amount of cuts again, like fifty more basis points. Obviously, the the absolute number there went up as well. Uh, the long run estimate, contrary to what we heard from in our conversations, and there was certainly some that investors considered a risk point, but the long run estimate remained unchanged at two and a half percent. So now the so called whether we call that the the neutral rate or just different current view of what the longer rate will be maybe some, uh, like a little bit abstracting away from the what the neutral rate should be uh it was two and a half percent unchanged uh, i think that was pretty clear to me because powell made it pretty uh, you know openly uh stated a couple months ago that they're really not looking to adjust that rate at this stage uh why hawkish well markets were anticipating about 75 base points of uh, cuts to be priced in for next year, up from the hundred. You could kind of gauge that futures, for example, if you look from December. December, as we headed to the meeting, it was basically at seventy-five. Uh, now at fifty, I imagine that rate will anchor uh, between the fifty to seventy-five point range until we start seeing softness data. Once that happens, uh, I, I do believe that we would, you know, break to break out of that and start pricing it more and more cuts. Uh, but and the press conference was, I'd say, pretty neutral. Perhaps not one of uh, Chair Powell's best ones, but uh, it was kind of lingering in the point of let me let me make the message that we don't plan cutting, but we have to be data dependent. We really care about bringing inflation. I suppose a transitory mistake was such a such a fumble that they didn't they don't want to repeat to take chances. So easing is always easy, but keeping rates higher at least forwards is a little bit harder to do. And uh, and I, I think they did a very decent job at achieving that if that's what they were going for. So. Uh, initial reaction was flatteners, but then the curve steepened. Today, we're seeing a very substantial steepening of the curve as the front end kind of finds its uh, range and everything else. You know, all the selling duration happens the longer parts of the curve. You talked about their preference for kind of keeping those forward rates higher, and I guess that's a 
sort of coordinated global central bank narrative right now, you know, the sort of restrictive for longer, we're closed near at a peak, but they're going to stay at these levels for, for some time. Um, how do you actually think that that might play out? You know, I guess leaving aside the rest of this year, like you said, they're going to be data dependent. Maybe there's a little bit more tightening to come. But beyond that, you know, their dot plot showed only 50 basis points of cuts next year. Um, do you, is that in line with your thinking? We definitely think the latter. We think the, that narrative of high for longer will be challenged uh, into into next year as well. Uh, we expect this mainly on the back of this credit crunch that we can see from Fed surveys, from lending data. There has been a slowdown in, in, in credit creation in the form of, or at least access to credit, uh, and which will likely weigh in the economy. So we do we we are looking for a rather than mild recession, nevertheless from. Uh, you know, in the second part of the year, which opens us up for rate cuts in, uh, starting from May, in we kind of see them in like 50 basis points increments, which kind of brings the year-end rate to something in the two and a half, two seven five rate, right? So like it's a pretty big, big substantial drop, well below what the market expects because the market doesn't really have rates coming down below 3.8 percent, 4 percent, period. That, that's where, where where they remain and. Uh, anything below that would be performing kind of against forward. So I think once they start cutting and once the economy slows down, it's always much easier on the way down. And uh, when you start, let's not forget that the Fed has a dual mandate of inflation and unemployment. Uh, we think inflation is trending in the right direction. Uh, and, and once unemployment starts trending higher, it is hard to stop that. Uh, you know, hard to stop that momentum. So uh, in real terms, the Fed will be tightening into a slowing economy. Uh, so. Uh, once they turn around, I think that shift can happen rather quickly. And once it happens, it's, in my view, certainly not going to be only 50 base points of cost. But, uh, you know, we're recording this right after the Bank of England. So uh, they, you know, go into that meeting. We were expecting uh, a hawkish, sorry, a dovish hike, but instead we got a, a hawkish halt. So how, how does that score up with your views of, uh, of the bank? Yeah, well, I think if we have any regular listeners that heard me say last week that I didn't expect inflation, the inflation data this week to be a game changer unless it was, you know, a big miss on either side. Um, well, that's ultimately what we ended up getting this week, uh, what felt like probably a game changing print on on inflation, which really tipped the balance in favor of uh, no hike from the MPC, the Monetary Policy Committee of the Bank of England. We thought previously that the decision was sort of finely balanced, but ultimately, you know, the the tight, the still kind of absolute levels of tightness in the labor market, despite it showing some relative loosening of late um, and wage inflation that was still, you know, not consistent with their target, would probably push them um, in favor of a 25 basis point hike. Obviously, the downside, you know, big downside surprise, especially on the core print um, in inflation this week kind of muddied the waters a little bit. Um, and after that, it, it became a, a very close call. So a hawkish hole, I suppose, in line with, you know, similar to what we've heard from you, Jan, on the Fed, was what was delivered. Um, and I guess there are, there are two kind of elements to this. There's their actions in terms of them not hiking. And then there's their words in terms of the hawkish rhetoric. You know, they didn't hike, but they kept the language and all the forward guidance in the statement unchanged. Now, to me, 
that feels slightly at odds with a the guidance that they've been given kind of in the run-up to the meeting you know this sort of table mountain metaphor about being close to the peak in rates but also you know they've had the same forward guidance for many months now this is the same forward guidance that they had in june when they hiked 50 basis points as they have now in september where they didn't hike at all so um it seems that a little odd um that they haven't updated that um but to me you know i would place more emphasis really i think on their actions and the fact that the majority and it was a slim majority but the fact that the majority of the committee didn't see enough evidence to tighten rates today to me suggests that they're unlikely to see enough evidence in six weeks time you know it feels like the bar has been raised particularly given a the I guess the uh, composition of the MPC shifts marginally in favor of the doves we think so this was John Cunliffe's last meeting um, we certainly didn't have him down as being a hawkish dissenter for this meeting but he was um, surprisingly so you know to the extent that his replacement Sarah Breed and we don't know a huge amount about her yet but her um, her parliamentary hearing in front of the Treasury Select Committee she sounded quite consensual and you know perhaps might be criticized of this sort of group think um, element to, to the BOE she's she's long been part of the BOE as part of their uh, financial policy committee um, it, it seems more likely that she would vote with the majority rather than dissent um, in a hawkish direction so at the margin maybe that gives a bit of a dovish tilt to the composition you also have the fact that you know as inflation continues to come off which we think it will gradually over the next couple of months you know monetary policy is kind of de facto becoming tighter without further hikes needing to be delivered because real rates are rising um and i like i say it, it just feels difficult to me to see where the evidence for further tightening will come from we now call this the peak in bank rate five and a quarter we think that's it um, and we also think, you know, it's very similar to what you've said, Jan, that we can understand why would they have this kind of hawkish element to the communication in terms of they don't want the market to price in too much of an early pivot today that kind of undermines the tightening that they're delivering. But we do think that this kind of restrictive for longer narrative in the UK is probably going to be challenged earlier in a big, and in a bigger way than the market's expecting. Um, the market in the UK currently has the first 50 bit cut uh, and that's what we're thinking in terms of the size of the first cut 50 basis points uh, not priced until November we think we could get 50 bits in August and 50 bits in December so um, there's quite a, a gap I suppose in terms of what we're expecting of loosening next year versus what the market has priced in I like that punchy uh, and uh, I guess it's an end of an era for uh, for for the Bank of England, right? Like, what's the hike since twenty end of twenty twenty one? I think they started. Was it the first hike? Yeah. Fun fact that I worked out today is that officially, since I've been covering the UK, this is the first Bank of England meeting that they haven't hiked at. So, um, I've never seen a BOE easing cycle. <laughs> I admit it does feel better as a strategist to talk about it's going to be a hike or no hike as opposed to twenty five or seventy five. So. <laughs> direction that uh but they also announced on top of the rate decision that their updated plans for how they plan on presuming qt and the stock that they plan on writing down so uh can you talk to us about that uh that part of the announcement yeah so 
we got the annual vote on on the pace of QT in the year ahead. Um, they announced that would be a hundred billion, so they'll run down the, the stock in total by a hundred billion. Um, that's slightly higher than last year, which was eighty billion, um, and I guess it's slightly higher than our expectations of ninety five billion, and at the higher end of the kind of consensus range of estimates. But but that range was really very narrow at, at ninety to hundred billion. So. I don't think this is kind of particularly market moving, although you could say that, you know, as listeners will know, a large part of our bearish view has been driven by the net supply outlook. And obviously QT is a big contributor to that. So, you know, at the margin, a slightly faster pace of of QT. The only other thing that we discussed a lot um, in kind of client conversations over the last week or so is about whether they would change any other operational details of QT. So, at the moment, they sell equally in sales proceeds terms across three maturity buckets. Um, there was some discussion about whether they would change the kind of parameters of those maturity buckets or whether they would change the way in which they sell so they don't sell equally across the curve. Um, they didn't do either of those things. They didn't even suggest that they had been discussed. Um, and that was in line with our base case. But I certainly think that there were some out there that were looking for, for maybe a bit more of a change on that. It's to add up everything what you just said and translate it into what happened to the market and the market reaction that we got afterwards, how does that fit with your views uh, you know, for the guilt market going forward? Yeah, so I kind of said earlier that you know there were sort of two parts to today's NPC, today Thursday's uh, meeting. You know, There's the kind of actions and then the words. Our view is very much that the actions speak louder than the words, whereas the market seems to have taken its cue much more from the kind of hawkishness that the guidance wasn't really watered down at all they still have this kind of asymmetric element to their guidance that they talk about you know to me we don't rule out the idea that you know there might be some further tightening and the data in the uk has been somewhat erratic of late and clearly the boe's reaction function um is very much linked to kind of spot inflation data right now so you know i don't rule out that should we get a reversal of some of this month's kind of downside surprise next month and yeah maybe the chances of of tightening increases uh, but at the moment i would put that really at only about 20 percent, so some way below what what the market has priced in um and like i said earlier you know i think that the market's underestimating the extent of of cuts next year um but i don't think we're likely to kind of trade that cut pricing until we're more comfortable that that we're near the peak and we can see the day set coming off more clearly. And briefly, I want to shift gears a little bit and uh, step away from the Bank of England book because we also got public finance data from the UK this uh, this morning, and it did show an undershoot in, in borrowing uh, um, in, in borrowing needs. So uh, one of the drivers for your short guilds view has been the huge amount of supply from the UK. Uh, you know, how do you reconcile this undershoot with the anticipation for more and more uh, large supply and how does that impact your view if at all the long curve i guess yeah so we've had this undershoot for a couple of months now or really all all fiscal year we've got nearly data for for half of the fiscal year and borrowing so far has undershot the obr's projections now you know if you've simply extrapolated the trend that we've seen for the first half of the year into the second half of the year that would imply you know a not insignificant undershoot versus what the ABR projected at, at the beginning of the year. Um, but I think that that 
kind of misses the point somewhat in that a those undershoots have been diminishing so extrapolating the trend probably overstates the extent to which you might get an un- undershoot on on full year borrowing um but also perhaps you know extrapolating the trend uh you know misses the point a little bit i suppose on things that we've discussed before in terms of you know from a net supplies perspective qt is increasing but that means that the cost of qt is also increasing um the obr penciled in 30 billion in terms of the cost of qt for this year we only have data for the for the first quarter of the fiscal year but that already showed that the cost of qt amounted to 15 billion so we're running at kind of double the the run rate essentially um, you know, debt servicing costs are high and rising. Uh, and of course, the, the main point here really around uh, fiscal, any fiscal headroom that might be created is that we do expect it all to be kind of reused and recycled in the run up to the election, which we expect to be next year in, in the UK. That doesn't necessarily mean that all fiscal headroom is reused in the autumn statement. Um, you know, we pencil in um, uh, the election in autumn 2024. So There's essentially two fiscal events, we think, between now and then, the autumn statement and the spring budget next year. And, you know, they probably would, the government would probably want to save their kind of biggest vote winning policies until the spring budget. But some of that has to be recycled in in the autumn statement, we think, and ultimately will all be recycled. Now, for gilts, it probably means that, you know, we're not talking about uh, the autumn statement being a a significant catalyst for a major sell-off you know we're now the undershoots i think in borrowing so far suggest that there's not likely to be a huge upward revision to to the borrowing needs in in november um but i i you know i've long been of the view that we don't need a kind of major supply event for us to reach our bearish target in 10-year gilts of of 4.6 percent i think if anything we learned at the beginning of this fiscal year that you know, there's a kind of announcement effect of supply, but also a flows effect in that, you know, supply fatigue can quite easily weigh on the market once you have the DMO and the BOE kind of coming to the market more days than, than not essentially most weeks. Um, and I guess to reconcile that with our guilt view, you know, we've long had this kind of 4.6% fair value, um, but we had sort of at the beginning of the summer said that we saw enough reasons that that could overshoot and that we wouldn't look to fade the cheapening in 10-year gilts until it got to 4.9 percent uh you know most of those overshooting risks were related to a potentially bank rate going higher than we might have thought because the data was um surprising to the upside and b those supply risks surprising to the upside now maybe you know given that both of those risks appear to have moderated somewhat the extent of an overshoot or the extent to which we see gilts cheapen beyond 4.6% might now be a bit more limited, um, but it doesn't change our overall bearish view and, and that fair value target of, of 4.6% in 10-year go. That's probably um, enough on the UK. So let's switch over to you, Joanne, in Europe. Um, we've had, as ever, a flurry of um, ECB speakers since the meeting last week. Have we learned anything new from any of those or anything that would kind of change your thinking after we caught up? after the meeting last week. The most interesting kind of comments were on Friday, which came right after the ECB meeting, where there was a suggestion that high inflation figures could potentially mean uh, that rate hikes could materialize this year. Um, and I think that was a fairly interesting comment just on the back of uh, a press conference that did seem fairly dovish and the suggestion that 
uh, we were really well at the peak in rates. I also thought this was surprising given that we did see more neutral comments um, from ECB kind of hawks before the meeting. But in terms of what that does for a view, I don't think it changes very much. Uh, we did kind of mention last week that we do think that some premiums should be embedded in market pricing for a hike this year, uh, but that we did not think this would materialize for a number of reasons. Firstly, being really the, the, the communications that we have got in which do suggest the bar for really hiking is quite high. Um, the inflationary picture is quite interesting. We, we will be guessing inflation prints next week. Uh, obviously, there's a bit of concern around energy prices, again, with oil prices higher. But we do think that the kind of base effects should push down on inflation uh, for next week and also going forward. So that inflationary kind of surprise that might trigger uh, uh, another hike does seem to be fairly muted for now, or the risk of that does seem to be fairly muted for now. We also uh, get growth uh, numbers more from PMIs. And I do think that the PMIs should, again, continue to suggest that the growth picture in Europe should is continuing to be fairly weak. Uh, so those two factors have kept our views for the ECB fairly intact. But it does seem like there is some kind of focus just coming across from the ECB speakers, not just in terms of this kind of inflationary comments that we got, but also in terms of more about balance sheet normalization and how that might kind of proceed moving forwards. All right. Thank you guys for joining me. Um, lots to discuss this week and I'm sure there'll be lots more next week as well. Uh, just a reminder to our listeners, if they like today's episode, please don't forget to hit the like button and click subscribe so you can get the latest episodes as soon as they're available. Thanks. See you next week.